Introducing Thai Singapore Huddle Sessions. Hi everyone. My name is Siddhi Dheer and I serve as the Executive Director for Thai Singapore. Thank you for joining us in our first of many huddles at Thai. In the face of the current COVID-19 situation, we started this initiative to assess the startups, combat various issues they might be facing or would face in the near future. These sessions would bring in investor and founder perspectives on various subjects and matters affecting the startup ecosystem. The huddles would be on every Wednesday at 5 p.m. So, so stay tuned and keep tuning in every Wednesday at 5. Tonight's huddle is on handling day-to-day -day challenges. I'm pleased to introduce today's moderator, Hari Krishnan. Hari, Hari is currently the CEO and Managing Director of Property Guru Group, Southeast Asia's leading property and technology company. He's a seasoned general manager and board director and a green guru, an ardent advocate of sustainable urban living solutions. Prior to Property Guru, Hari served as the vice president and managing director APAC and Japan of LinkedIn, having joined the company as the very first hire of Asia Pacific region. Before I hand over it to Hari uh, to introduce the speakers and kick off the session, I have a few housekeeping items to cover. First, today's webinar recording would be shared with all post this session. For questions, please use the Q&A button, either located on the top or bottom uh, bar of your screen. And lastly, we would love to hear the problems you are facing in your business currently. So please share with us on the email provided in the chat box. Hari, over to you. Thanks, Siddhi. Uh, good evening, everyone. Welcome to this Thai huddle. Um, in what is fairly typical to these days uh, of needing to be dynamic and flexible and rolling with the changes, this panel is no different. We've had a couple of changes. A few of us have been drafted in, but I think we are very lucky to have three distinguished panelists who get a chance to express their opinions on this very pertinent topic. We shall try and keep it brief and punchy, as I like to call it. That is to say, we shall try and not go for extended answers, uh, which can limit conversation. Um, as Siddhi mentioned, a couple of housekeeping elements. This is Zoom webinar mode. So only our panelists will have the joy of speaking, but all participants are welcome and uh, requested to submit their questions um, via the Q&A button. Given our tight time limits, we shall endeavor to have a hard stop uh, at 5.45 Singapore time. Uh, we may not be able to get to every answer, uh, sorry, every question, but we, let's see how it goes. We'll try and answer as many as possible, uh, either live or within the Q&A. So let me spend a, a minute or so introducing our panelists. Uh, Cole Surchek is the CEO of DocTalk. It is a Singapore-based startup which labels itself a patient empowerment company, connecting patients with the best healthcare options and providers. I would assume this situation should help their product adoption, but let's see what he has to say about that. Thank you for joining us, Cole. Thank you. David Gowdy is the managing partner for Jungle Ventures, uh, a seasoned investor in Southeast Asia and across Asia, uh, across the Asia Pacific region. He was with TPG Capital prior to joining Jungle. And in a previous life, uh, we, our paths overlapped when he headed up CorpDev uh, for Yahoo in the region. Welcome, Dave. Thanks. And finally, Ashish Wadwani is a managing partner for Ivy Cap Ventures and is a board member of Thai Singapore chapter. He's a seasoned investor of over 25 years, and he's got a unique angle. He leverages global alumni ecosystems to identify and invest in potential market leaders. Welcome, Ashish. Hi, thank you for having me. 
Wonderful. So we have also three very different personalities at this Zoom virtual table today, and I shall try and get the best out of this group. Uh, let's get started. So I'm going to just put one question to each of you, and um, uh, and you could sort of get get us started that way. Uh, the first question goes to David. Um, what is your what's the advice that you are giving to portfolio company CEOs as the first steps they need to take in this unprecedented crisis that we're all facing? Sure. So, you know, I think um, the best way to answer that is I think most investors would largely think about two groups. The first group are those founders that have greater than 12 or 15 months of cash runway. And then the other group is those that have less than 12 months of cash runway. And obviously, I think for those that are well capitalized to kind of play this, the, the markets out, um, I think it's an opportunistic time to look at the business, to look at the business model, uh, to maybe test or have some experiments with adjacencies to see whether or not you can drive more efficiency into the business. You know, typically for those founders, unless there's some sort of catalyst, unless there's a moment or a reason to look at the business, most of them are growing so quickly that they never really take the time to step back and think about the cost structure or what they would change if they really had to. And so I think this is a good moment in time to say, do I need that many people in customer service or can, be sa can sales be more efficient? Or what can I be doing differently? Is there an M&A or is there a consolidation opportunity, which maybe makes it more achievable for me given kind of where some other uh, peers may be trading in the market? And so I think that's probably some of the things we would talk about to those founders. To the group that has less than 12 months of capital, then I think it's a much harder to tougher uh, time for them. Um, you know, trying to extend out from six months to 12 months is much harder than going from 12 months to 18 months. And so for, for them, I think it's really about going back to what is the core business, um, you know, and cutting back, hopefully cutting back only once, but cutting back as much as you need to in order to, to keep the business going. I think the, the number one rule of business is to stay in business. And so you know, I think one is cutting costs where you can. I think the other one is that there's a lot of opportunities in the market today, particularly if you're based in Singapore, um, where there are government-sponsored programs where you can look at bringing on some either venture debt or some bank financing uh, at very attractive rates that the government's made available. So seeing which programs uh, they may be accessible to, but ideally trying to get you know at least 12 or ideally 15 months of runway into the business uh, to try and ride this out. I think, you know, it's going to be difficult to raise capital uh, in the next 12 months. So I think ideally trying to talk to most of our founders about getting about 15 or more months of runway. All right. Uh, thank you, Dave. Very useful. And we might, uh, I think that's already going to get a lot of people's uh, uh, thinking about their own businesses. Uh, the next question goes to the entrepreneur on the panel. So Cole, uh, you know, Dave brought this up, but you know, this does give an opportunity to all business leaders and entrepreneurs to sort of step back and look at their businesses. How are you thinking about your organization and team? And I guess how and what are you communicating to them uh, at this point? Um, well, I, I maybe let me take it. So there's a good question. Let me take it slightly differently. Sure. So we're all on lockdown, right? Everybody here is on lockdown. And in prison, they talk about either you do the time or the time does you. And I think that's a really important concept. So um, we're all on lockdown. My mom lives in Idaho in the United States. She's on lockdown. My, some of my best friends are in New York. They're on lockdown. I've got good friends in India. They're on lockdown. 
about the only place in the world that's not on lockdown is in China. And so I think what we do with this time and where we go with our heads as leaders is going to be incredibly important. So the first thing I would tell anybody who's the leader of an entrepreneurial team, I don't care if you have 15 months in the bank or not, there's a lot of rough road in front of you. And, and that rough road can be channel partners, deals you thought were done, aren't done. Things that you thought were going to work will no longer work. Um, there'll be a lot of rough road ahead of you. Um, so uh, get your lives really organized and regimented is the first thing I would recommend. You know, you're in, you're, you were on lockdown for a month, at least in Singapore. So, you know, how are you going to use that time in a productive way? And I think that's really important because, so for me, it's about getting fit. It's about, or staying fit. It's about making sure I've got a couple of good books to read that I think are, are totally outside of my work that are a kind of a mental relaxation. So I'm reading a lot of Seneca right now, but you read whatever you want. That's what I'm doing. I'm spending a lot of time loving my family. And that's people that are close to me and people that are further away virtually. But I'm actually making a real effort to reach out and let them know how much I love them. And the reason I'm doing that is because I want my chi real clear when I go to make hard business decisions. When I get on a call with potential partners and they're all really afraid about what's happening in the world and they thought they were going to be doing X, Y, and Z in the next 12 months and that's changed, I have to be able to deal with that static in a productive way. And so I agree with David 100% about getting at least 12 months of runway in front of you. But what I would highlight as a founder and an entrepreneur, the value in your company is 90% between the eyes of the founder. It's their vision and their ability to articulate that vision in the market for a very long time in the business. And so if you get wrapped up in the herd mentality of fear, you will not be able to make good things happen. If your chi is clouded, you will not be able to manage your team well. So as founders and, and, and leaders, you got to get clear. And you can't get clear if the time is doing you and you're not doing the time. Got it. And Can you guys hear me? <laughs> that was one hell of a cryptic answer. Thank you for that. The, the getting your was it cryptic? No, no, I mean... I if you're spending all day long watching MSNBC and watching your stock market, watching the value of your portfolio fall in your personal stocks, and you're talking, and every time you turn around, you're like, "Oh my God, this happened and that happened," and you're full of fear, and you're and and then you pass that on to your team, then you you're not making anything happen. You're not a leader, so you got to get your you got to get your chi clear. Like it's it. very very important. I, I don't know how to be clear. I'm sorry if that was cryptic. I don't know how to be clearer than I was. No, I think I think I think at least for me that cleared it up. I think you're you're just saying be, be make sure you're calm in the eye of the storm. Make sure you're uh, clear when you're able to communicate those tough decisions to your team. Um, and I think that's perhaps the best thing a leader could do in um, in this time. And you can't do that if your principles aren't clear. That's fair. Right. Yep. I agree. Thanks, Cole. Um, and, and I guess the next question goes to Ashish, uh, you know, Cole's obviously, um, you know, a passionate founder and he's given us a, a lens of how to look at this. As you look at your portfolio companies, I think one thing that occurred to me was as this, this, uh, pandemic has played out, the reality is that certain markets, China, and then to some degree, Hong Kong and Singapore 
um, sort of at the front end of this uh, COVID breakout. And, you know, uh, it, CEOs in other countries um, had the opportunity to observe what is happening here. And here, obviously, we're taking purely a business angle on it, not the, the personal uh, consequences. But um, you do have this lagging effect where some countries uh, started discovering COVID on their shores much later. When you look at your portfolio, which is obviously distributed across Asia, what is the advice you're giving companies based on the learnings you've seen in some of these early stage markets? But when they're looking out for those next 12 months that both Dave and Cole talked about, how sh- what has been your advice to for the next 12 months? Yeah, I mean, let me... Uh... Thanks, Hari. Let me start off with an analogy to this. You know, if you're if you're standing on the beach and your tsunami is about to hit you, uh, whether you're watching it from a distance or of uh, two feet or whether it's uh, uh, you know two kilometers, it really doesn't matter. It'll come and hit you very hard. Uh, so that's broadly what we are watching. But uh, you know, coming back to how we are looking at it and how we are working with our portfolio to look at it. Uh, there are broadly three shocks to the system. Uh, one is really the health shock. Uh, and there are all kinds of assumptions around whether the, the virus will hit in one wave or two ways, or whether it will peak uh, now or three months from now. Uh, that's one, uh, one set of assumptions uh, which drive uh, you know, business outcomes. Second is your demand shock. And depending on the level of, uh, of lockdown, and depending on the nature of industry that you are in, uh, you are seeing anywhere from, I would say, plus 15, 20% growth for those who are winners uh, to a complete shutdown for retail businesses. So there's literally nothing to do for them. Uh, the third uncertainty is around the funding and the private markets and how they will open up and how funding will open up. So. Around all these three axes, uh, there are all kinds of assumptions to be made. And, uh, ultimately, you have to work with scenarios. We are finding all, all our portfolio sort of companies working with scenarios. You, so in this situation, I would say uh, literally there are three broad categories of companies. Uh, one who are gaining because let's say uh, people are buying essentials online. Uh, let's say the social media companies, maybe gaming companies, uh, we have a pharma platform which is gaining. We have a food delivery platform which is gaining. So these are sort of the winners because of the situation. Uh, there's the other end which I call they need to go into a hibernation mode, uh, which is something like maybe online jewelry or something like automotive or travel, for instance, right? Online travel. Uh, so these are more in the hibernation uh, zone. And the middle category is basically you're, uh, you know, diving into a sort of frozen lake, uh, taking a cold dip. Uh, Depending on the nature of the business, it depends how long that dip is and how you come out on the other end. Uh, But three broad factors that are important. uh, I think one David mentioned uh, uh, is around around the cash runway. Uh, we are advising all our companies to have to build 12 to 15 months of cash runway. Uh, the second is adaptability. Uh, the world is changing uh, as we speak, as a consumer, as a business, as a buyer, as an investor. Uh, you have to adapt very, very fast. Uh, and linked to that is nimbleness, right? Uh, we are finding that 
entrepreneurs are being entrepreneurs, the ones who are finding creative ways of engaging their customers or finding alternate ways of uh, alternate revenues or being nimble around talking to their teams on figuring out how to cut costs and, and, and what is to be done to, to build that 12-month runway, those are the people who seem to be a little bit ahead of the curve. Got it. Uh, that's a good start. Um, and I think one thing which I really liked that you said, Ashish, the next question is going to Cole, but you know the fact that different verticals or different industries need to operate differently in these scenarios. But uh, Cole, you operate in a, in a particular environment, a particular industry. Obviously, uh, DocTalk is in health tech. And in a working from home, as I, as I like to call it, a WFH world, are you seeing any changes in behavior from consumers in using your product specifically or your sector? And in your mind, what remains a blocker to, the, to that adoption given we've had such a massive shock to the system? So on the, the, neg- the capital is the negative side. I agree with David that uh, the cost of capital has gone up meaningfully. So that's the, more, that's the difficult side. I think it'll be less severe for health tech uh, because I think that what we're seeing now, one of the biggest problems in the health technology space has been around um, mobilizing the medical community, mobilizing the insurance community, mobilizing governments. And these, these, these groups tend to mobilize very slowly unless there's some kind of an external shock. This was kind of the shock that we needed. Like this will change the face of insurance tech globally. The insurers now will finally say, hey, we now realize why we just have to move. It wasn't just margin compression. It wasn't just competitive intensity. Our, our customers need this. You'll, see, you'll start seeing governments uh, make a big move. So ultimately, this is going to be very positive for DocDoc. Um, and it'll be positive in two ways. They'll be, you know, we're, on a, we're, we're actually hiring right now. So there'll be a lot of, I think there's going to be a lot of interesting talent in the market. Um, and it'll be positive because I think, I mean, I'm already seeing it. I'm seeing people that we thought that were on our C list. Like we, we channel our, all of our part, potential insurance partners are A, B, and C, right? We had a couple C's come back this week. But we weren't even talking to, weren't even putting any effort into, hey, pilot's been approved. When can we start? We understand. When can we sign an MOU? I can't tell you what a move that is in psychology because it used to be us chasing so unbelievably hard to get an insurer to do anything to have them come back like that i think bodes very well for the sector as a whole um on the other hand there's a lot of fear and a lot of deals that i thought were much closer to being really monetizable in in in, in massive ways those may i don't know what i don't know what will happen with those so this is that thing. You're going to have to manage the fear of your channel partners. You're going to get some pleasant surprises if you're in the right sectors. But it's really important that you stay clear because a lot of what's going to be coming at you is not clear. It's going to be very, you know, we have to do this immediately right now, COVID fear. Maybe you can't deliver on that partnership. It's going to be, hey, the totally done partnerships that were ready to go, ready to roll, ready to scale hey, we need to pull back for 24 months because of COVID. So there's going to be overreactions everywhere. As a whole, it's positive. We're, we're now being proven right. As an entrepreneur, you have to get in front of the curve. If everyone's talking about what you're doing when you're doing it, it's too late. So we started in doing health tech before it was cool or fashionable. 
And that's given us the assets that we needed to be here for a moment like now. And I think that's ultimately what history will say, but there's going to be a lot of fear on both sides. Some things I'm sure are done are going to come undone. And some things that I thought had no chance are going to get done in a way that surprises me. That's my, that's my read about being ambidextrous and being emotionally clear and being able to continue to paint that vision to the world because that's the entrepreneur's single greatest talent, the ability to paint a clear and compelling vision to the world. Got it. Now, thank you, Cole. And uh, good luck. I really hope the, the good things are better than the, the, the challenges. Um, Ashish, a question for you. I think, obviously, cash flow management is the name of the game in 2020. Uh, I think every, every leader, every investor, uh, every senior employee really is thinking about it right now. Any tips for entrepreneurs who have, you know, till date, they've had their hands full running a growth business, they've been bullish, and entrepreneurs are fundamentally optimistic people and they're building for this future. Suddenly this massive shock coming into 2020, they need to start tracking cash, uh, particularly for the younger startups. That's not something that you take uh, for granted uh, if you're in that growth mode and looking at the sky. Any quick actions they can take when it comes to cash flow management? Oh yeah, I think uh, well, fortunately or unfortunately, this is my fourth crisis, starting with the Asian crisis. So there are plenty of, uh, plenty of scars and lessons to learn. Uh, but I think there are four or five areas. I think uh, one is obviously on the customer and market size, uh, market side, a uh, lot of focus uh, in terms of who your customer is, who you're going to serve, uh, who's going to be able to pay you, uh, right? Over the next three to six to uh, you know nine months, uh, uh, who's got the budgets? Uh, similarly, uh, a lot of focus around what exactly do you want to sell to them? Because sometimes entrepreneurs are also experimenting, uh, which is fine if you're if you're in the bucket where which where industries are winning, where you have uh, where you can experiment. But I'm assuming this is more relevant for those who are taking a, a big gold dip uh, and and need to manage their cash flows. Right. Uh, the second important thing is uh, your cost structure. Uh, I like, I like to call it as variableizing your entire cost structure. Think of how you can variableizing every cost of yours. So if, if it's rent, can you go back and renegotiate rent? Can you uh, work out an arrangement with your, you know, whoever your warehouse guy is that I could pay you on, on the number of uh, 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 link to sales, right? He's not, it's, good, it's tough, but no harm asking, right? Uh, similarly, uh, variableizing even your salary structures, you can go back and talk to uh, your uh, your employees about how you can have a stepwise uh, comeback in case you're doing cuts. How you can have a stepwise comeback to your uh, your uh, your your salary levels. Uh, you obviously have to cut deep for most of companies who are uh, whose demand has been hit hard. Uh, there's no other choice. Uh, the other thing is uh, looking at uh, at working capital. Uh, you know, you have receivables. Now, uh, I came across a very interesting incident and one of our companies is trying it. Uh, they're doing, they sell into dental clinics uh, and what they're doing to their customers is saying, here is a dental bond for you. And against this bond, uh, you'll get a discount on your future purchases uh, for the next nine months. And there's a similar example in apparently from a restaurant in New York, which is selling 
food bonds or restaurant bonds, right? Uh, very creative uh, ways of of uh, of getting uh, subscription revenues or deposits from your customers. Uh, there could there's another very important principle around uh, around cash flow management, which is that cash flow is more important than margin. So technically, uh, and this goes back, this is my earliest lesson from the Asian crisis days. Technically, I can sell on zero margin as long as my uh, my customer is giving me cash and I have a credit with my, my suppliers for two months. You are effectively financing your business. Now, obviously, you can't do that for 100% of your, of your sale, but you still can it still can give you a little bit of runway in, in the difficult months. Uh, I think one more, uh, two more important things here are, uh, I would say move away from PLs. Go to cash flow statement, the good old way where, where entrepreneurs you know, used to run their business. Cash flow, not accrual accounting, just cash flows, right? And the last would be to be creative in terms of raising financing because uh, uh, I was uh, I was with a, a one of our portfolio companies, uh, and they have a substantial business in the U.S. Uh, I think the scheme coming from the U.S. government to finance uh, some of the uh, of their companies is very attractive. Similarly, I, I'm sure there's something around in Singapore where you can get uh, sort of creating uh, like creative with your financing. So uh, you've literally got to go through everything that drives cash into the business and makes you leaner, fitter, uh, and meaner during this time to go back to the original goal of 12 to 15 months cash runway. Got it, very, very interesting. David, I had sort of lined up this question in advance, but what's interesting is a lot of uh, the live commentators are asking the same question. And, yeah, you know, I saw we're, that. <laughs> we're hearing a lot about you know, VCs either pulling term sheets <clears> from explorations, <throat> or there are changes in happening with deals that are already in play. What are you seeing like within the VC ecosystem and what can you advise our entrepreneurs? Sure. So, you know, I haven't actually, or at least in none of our companies that from my vantage point, have I seen other VCs pulling term sheets um, or, you know, not following through with deals that they were working on in January or February. Uh, in fact, we're, we're closing a new investment uh, this week, but it's one that we've been working on for for a while now. But I think um, the thing to probably highlight is that you know ninety percent of our time at the moment is being spent on the existing portfolio. So you know we're working with founders to try and help them through this situation, um, whatever that might be. And I think the other thing too is that you know founders come in vintages, and so if you think about a fund as a vintage. You know, a very early fund, you know, you'll always hold reserves, you'll hold capital back where you could invest, you know, downstream in companies as they continue to scale and grow. And the older those funds are, the lower those reserves become. Um, in some funds, if they're, if they're old, it may be fully extinguished. And so hopefully what you've done, you know, over the years is you've built up a very strong cap table. And so you've got other people sitting around the business that you can work with to make sure that there's capital flowing into those companies um, but most of our time is probably spent on the more recent investments. And so I think you'll see a lot of VCs spending more time with their existing portfolio, um, probably out of the current fund that they're investing out of. And that may mean, you know, for this cohort of companies, that maybe there's fewer investments in this fund because these companies may actually take on a little bit more capital than what they're anticipating 
which means the number of new deals go down. And so I saw that there was a question about, you know, don't VCs take a long-term view? And I think the answer is absolutely yes. You know, we all tend to take, you know, five to eight-year view, um, but we also need to protect the, the equity that we've already invested. So I think you'll see VCs spending a lot more time with founders, making sure that they've got the oxygen that they need to breathe. Um, and, um, and they're probably not as focused on new deals. I think the new deals probably come back in the next couple of months. I think part of it depends on how the market corrects. Um, but I think this year, you know, I think if you can go flat, if you can have show zero growth this year, I think that's a win. And so I think if I put myself in my chair in 2021 and kind of look at companies and try and think about 2020, I think most founders should be thinking about this year as a write-off. And that you should be thinking about, you know, can I achieve the same level that I was at last year? You know, every business is different. Uh, like Ashish was saying, I think SaaS businesses are a little bit different. There's some businesses which are kind of cyclical that are probably growing a lot more now than what they would have been. Um, but I think generally, I think most founders should think about, you know, how do I just maintain where I was last year or drive more efficiency into my unit economics? Hari, if I may step in into that, uh, I think I... I mean, just to set the context, VCs don't act in isolation, right? Uh, they are dependent on their LPs for capital. Uh, and they're dependent on later stage investors, as well as public markets and large M&A buyers to, to, to sort of get clues on what, uh, what will drive valuations and deals. Uh, therefore, uh, they do, there will be a period of uncertainty. Uh, I think my hope is that uh, given the amount of liquidity that is being pumped into the system, uh, that has to move away from treasury bills or uh, safe havens, which they are in now, into more riskier assets. Now, depending on, on how fast that happens, uh, obviously there's a huge amount of liquidity out there, uh, which is being pumped in. So that capital will come, will come out into risky, riskier assets. Now, uh, once there is a little bit more certainty around that, I think you'll start seeing uh, VC deals and markets uh, you know, come back. Uh, but I think I also want to cover one important point because a lot of what we have been saying is fairly gloomy. You know? uh, don't forget uh, that the world is changing. Uh, consumers are changing. Uh, businesses are changing. Uh, habits of employees are changing. Therefore, there's a lot of opportunity. You know, you need to reposition your product. You might come up with a SaaS. Uh, uh, you, you may have a great SaaS product, which might uh, work even better in the new environment uh, as compared to, uh, to earlier. Uh, a lot more offline customers might, might go online. I mean, certainly we started seeing that uh, in SARS, it was the offline retail which was hit, right? And online started a bit after that. Uh, similarly, here you might see a step function in terms of uh, online online growth. Uh, similarly, productivity tools are uh, so. There are a lot of lot of changes happening in the world, and entrepreneurs and innovators uh, need to seize the moment uh, to be able to uh, to benefit from that. So, sorry, please go ahead. Uh, sorry, it's it's actually just advancing the question, and I'm uh, just sort of taking one of the questions that come from that has come from the Q and A. I, I think uh, it's it's good advice. You know, people need to be optimistic. That's what makes you an entrepreneur. 
but there are also some brass stacks that need to be handled. And I think one of the questions that's come through in Q and A is, in case you need to cut costs by reducing manpower, you know that that uh, that always sticky point. Uh, how would you recommend proceeding with it? Who to keep? Who to let go? Any process or method to decide? And you know, Cole and I, uh, Cole, you and I chatted a little bit about this. And uh, as an entrepreneur, you're having to. Uh, you may, you may not do, you may or may not do it for your company. I, I'll let you respond, but I think in general, uh, entrepreneurs need to be ready for that as a as a possible eventuality. Sure. Um, I just two thoughts on this. So, to the previous comment that was made about behaviors changing, we're in a sea change now for insure tech. So, for a long time, a lot of fintech, a lot of shirt insure tech, a lot of health tech has been building, but the buyers hadn't been buying. They'd been flirting with buying and they'd be in different stages of flirting. I think that's over and you're going to see big marriages happen. And, and this will be because of that. So that's really positive. And I would really encourage all the entrepreneurs to take a deep breath and say, what does this mean to the market? Because this has changed the market. The market will be different now going forward when this is all over. Patterns, behaviors, things will have changed. Maybe ever so slightly, but they will be different. I know in my industry, it's a tectonic change. I can already see it. Um, but in others, it'll even be ever so subtle. So, so pay attention because your business model might have been really interesting six months ago. It might be less so now. And I don't just mean now and then through the, th through the, the blip. I mean now, like going forward. So keep a real eye on that. I think it's very sage advice that was brought up. And I just want to make sure that's called out very clearly. So how do you get rid of people in your company and scale down? Uh, this is always really hard. And unless, unless you're a monster, right? Like hopefully your parents raised you to have a lot of empathy and to kind of try to hear the world. And, and there's a variety of things there. Right. But, um, unless you're a sociopath, getting rid of loyal people that have, that are doing their best for you is an incredibly challenging gut wrenching thing to do. Uh, the way you do it, you do it quickly. You do it in one cut and you cut too far. Um, that's the best way to, if you're going to have to do it, do it. And, and what you do is, is you look at everybody in the company and you say, who is an A player? They may not be an A player today, but they are an A player in the making. And you try to keep those people who have the unique domain expertise that I can't replicate after. Right. They're, they're just, I can't find another of that. You keep them. And, and what you'll find, here's the positive side. So there's, this is going to be the, if you've never done this before, it's one of the hardest things you can do um, because you're going to feel like you're turning your back on people that were good to you. Um, it's easier if you move your mind to you're protecting people that you could save mm. because you can't save everyone. If you're cutting people, it means that you can't save the whole company. That's just right. what it means. So you're saving the ones you can, not that you're turning your back on the ones you can. That's a big mental shift in a lot of entrepreneurs' minds. And I'm always talking about entrepreneurial psychology. Uh, I, I'm an entrepreneur and resident at INSEAD, and all these young guys are coming to me, and it's, I, I, I feel like a psychologist because a lot of this really is psychology, right? So that's a big move. You're saving the ones you can. The second thing is when you get through this, you're going to be surprised how much stronger your company is than you thought it would be. Because what will end up happening is, is you will eliminate a lot of fat that was holding you back in ways you didn't know. In our company, we talk a lot about this idea of holograms. 
So you're going down the court, you're playing basketball and you throw a ball to somebody and then they just magically don't catch it and it goes out of bounds and you can't figure out how they missed it. Then the second time you throw it, same thing happens. Well, what you've got there is actually a hologram. They look like a human, they act like a human, but they can't move the business forward. They can just act like they're in that role. And the sooner the holograms get off the court, the better the team plays. I'd rather play three on five in basketball if I knew I had three players. And so that the reality is, is when you're through it, you will be better off for it in ways you couldn't imagine at the time. But don't do it in phases. That's not humane. It'll destroy the psychology and culture of your company. Make the cut if you're going to do it and create the runway. And then the people that are there, grab them like a band of brothers or sisters or people and say, we're here to make this happen. This is our vision. This is our purpose. You know, people talk about vision statements and companies and, and, and cultures and values. It's in a crisis that you understand who the quality, the content of the character of your leaders and this is why I keep telling all the founders, go back to your core principles, get clear, go work out, burn the cortisol out of your system, get your chi clear. You know why you started the business. Stay true to that vision, true to that principle. VCs are a dime a dozen. I mean, I don't mean to be rude, but they're a dime a dozen. They'll come back when the market's right, when they see momentum or they won't. But the entrepreneur can't base their company on that. It's gotta be based on a purpose and a vision and that's just what it's got to be. And they can't lose that. They lose that. They lose the company. Got it. Yeah, that's good advice, Cole. Dave, another question from the, the Q&A. You know, there are startups that are in the middle of much longer R&D cycles. Um, how do they attempt surfing this current tide? Because they're going to have to make some immediate adjustments. And that's what today's panel is about. But how, how are they supposed to do it with longer R&D cycles? You know, it's a, it's a hard question to to answer without, you know, thinking about a company and specifics. Um, but my, my hope is that the, the issues that we're facing now, you know, are issues that will be dealt with over the next couple of months. And so we have a company in our portfolio that is building a platform. Uh, their revenue has literally gone to zero. And so what we're doing is we're ensuring that we can uh, maintain the OPEX and we can maintain the tech team where we can build that platform and continue to hit our product milestones, even though the revenue is currently at zero. And so there's other ways you can do that. You can think creatively about short-term revenue. Ashish, I think, made some great comments about cash. You know, I would, I've always said, you know, founders tend to really understand a PL, but not necessarily a balance sheet or a statement of cash flows. But I think cash never lies. You know, you can adjust the PL and you can, you know, have things come in or come out at different levels, but cash you can't never lies. And so I agree with him wholeheartedly that you should run the business on a cash flows. And if there are creative ways where you can, you know, pre-sell or get some money in the door that can help finance, um, then I think you can go down all those avenues. But I would, you know, to Cole's point, you have to think about what's the core, you know, why are you here? And if your core business involves a long-term R&D cycle, then I think you have to figure out ways you can continue to fund that. Yeah, got it. Uh, you could I, potentially, I, Hari, you could potentially, I mean, just some very, very sure. grassroots ideas, right? Uh, again, this is survival, uh, not, not the ideal thing to do. Uh, but try to work with your anchor customers and get some fees off them, right? Uh, some of the R&D can be 
uh, can also generate fee-based revenues. And if you're a really small team and with smart people, uh, you'll figure out a way to, to earn your living uh, while building your product. So that's a good point. I think, you know, you know, you can't time everything. So there are founders who need to convert, con, uh, connect with investors right now, right? I mean, all of you have given some advice around, you know, how VCs are viewing this and uh, Ashish made a great point of VCs and, you know, the, them being uh, accountable to their LPs as well. But are there specific strategies that startups can adopt when pitching or closing deals over these virtual meetings? I think today's panel has been fun, but there's not a deal to be had <laughs> right now. Uh, I guess the question to... Um, any one of you, honestly, but any tips on how entrepreneurs should think about this if they are in that mode and have to pitch or try and close a deal over a virtual meeting? So if I may jump on that for a second. Go for it. <laughs> it's imp starting a company that does anything that matters is statistically very unlikely. Like you have to understand the nature of the challenge that you took on when you took it on right? It, the core asset that the entrepreneur has is that they've put so much time and energy and, 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 and blood and sweat and tears into creating a vision of the way the world should be and why the world would be much better because of that. If not for me, this wouldn't happen. And look at how amazing this thing is, right? So, you know, remember the last cycle, Elon Musk just about went out, went over the falls. Right? And he, he did it in Tesla and he did it in SpaceX. But he was able to paint a vision. He was able to believe and he was able to run through walls if he had to, to make it happen. So what you can't do is get caught up in, oh, poor me, this is a hard time. That's the time doing you. You got to do the time. So if you have to call every single VC, in the entire world to get her deal done, then you do that. Walt Disney was turned down 300 times before he got his round done, right? 300 times. I don't know, there's almost no entrepreneur that I know that's actually failed 300 times in a round. Larry and Sergey failed almost 100 times. So, and that's in, an, in, a, in a good market. You can't allow fear into your psychology. You, you're not that guy. If you wanna be a risk adjusted guy that's going out there and trying to kind of hedge their bets, then you're not an entrepreneur. And that's okay. I'm not against it. I, I've done a lot of work in hedge funds and, and venture funds, and I've done that. I understand that psycho that thought process. But we're heavyweight boxers. That's what it means to be the CEO and founder of an entrepreneurial company. So you can't go into the match thinking you're going to lose, right? You need to cut to 12 months, full stop. Doesn't matter how much it hurts, full stop. And then you need to get out there and learn how to punch harder to hit the way you need to hit. But you don't get to admit loss. You don't get a, oh, well, it was hard and I quit because. Like that thought, when it creeps into your head, will do more to destroy you as an entrepreneur than anything else, right? I, I just, I can't be clear enough about that because if they go down that road, well, are there any tips and tricks? Yeah, call everybody. Tell them why you're amazing. Do not hang up. Do not let them hang up. Push again and again and again and again until you win. I mean, it, it doesn't change. I, mean, I don't know how to be more passionate about that, but you got to go down that road. There is no book. Oh, yeah, here are the five tricks to do in a global pandemic in Singapore. That shit doesn't exist, right? Nah, I love the passion, Cole. Love it. <laughs> uh, I, I'm going to ask one, one 
Uh, I'm very aware of time and uh, I'm going to try and keep us to it. So I'm going to ask one final question and each of you, I'd love if you could give your perspective on it. Uh, there are other questions in the Q&A um, and if uh, you feel so inclined, please do jump in there and answer those questions. But this will be the final question that'll be answered live. It is from the Q&A section and I thought it's a good one to end on, a little bit of positivity. As we exit a crisis, we hear about things we should have done to better position our business in the crisis. What seeds can we plant now? So two big things for me, Hari. Uh, listen closely to how your customer's life is changing and adapt to it. And second, this is a great time to recruit. Uh, if you have the resources, you will get fantastic resources. And it's a time to build a team which, which really can win uh, in uh, you know once you're out of it. Do you want me to go next? My answer is actually a lot with what Cole originally started in on. I think now is a great time to get your mental health together. You know, I think most founders, you know, just have very limited time for themselves for kind of free thought to sleep, to exercise, to spend time with family. I think now, you know, the demand side is shut down. The supply side is shut down. There's you should try and be as, as productive as you can, but I think there's time that you can afford yourself now, unlike any other time over the, you know, since you've been running your business, to actually spend some time with family, to get a good night's sleep, to read a book. And so I, I agree wholeheartedly with Cole that I think mental health is a, a, would be a big focus, I think, for, for me to advise founders at, at this point. Uh, my two cents is... Um... In volatile situations, it's not about the number of decisions you make. It's about the quality of the few decisions that you make. There'll be two or three decisions in a volatile market that'll make your company. So now is the time to get clear and make a few good decisions. It's not about making 100. It's make, making two or three really good ones. And if you do that, you'll come out of this and you'll be much stronger than you came into it. And you'll have a big scar on your back that you can reflect on and laugh about much after it's healed long time from now. <laughs> I love that goal. I, I talk a lot about scar tissue in my company, but it's not about that. I think I, I, I just want to wrap at this point. And, I, you know, I hope everyone who paid attention and attended this session, we had over 100 at one point, really felt as inspired by the energy that three of you gave. I think, uh, you know, really what I call real advice coming through from folks who are investing or running companies uh, who understand what uh, it feels like to go through here advice from everywhere from taking care of your mental health and your chi uh, to some of those harder decisions that people may have to take in these situations. How to think about the future, how to get ready for situations uh, which can be challenging, hopefully not as challenging as this one in the future, but you will have other challenges which come up as well. Um, I, I hope you'll join me in thanking our panelists for sharing their wisdom. I definitely feel a whole lot more informed, I hope you do as well, about steps that you and your companies can consider taking. By the way, I, I feel we can all learn from each other in such a challenging period. So I think we've heard from three experts today. I think the endeavor definitely from these networks is at times like this to look to the future at a time when we are away from this, when we're able to meet, when we're able to actually conduct business more freely uh, to actually be able to look forward to that. And I think that's why I was so excited to participate in this. Huddle. But I, I'll end by quoting Dave is one of the first things he said. He said, the number one rule of business is staying in business. I think that was good advice. So thank you for that, Dave. Thank you, Cole. Thank you, Ashish. Really, really useful. 
Um, and I'll hand off to Siddhi, who's our uh, exec director for Thai, to say a few words to wrap up this huddle. Great. Thank you, Hari. This was an engaging session. Thank you, all our panelists, Ashish, Cole, David, and Hari, to kickstart our huddle sessions. Folks, thank you for joining. We've got 103 folks entering. This, this is amazing. Please stay tuned. This will happen every Wednesday at 5 p.m. The next session is on supply chain dynamics. And we have Ankiti Bose, founder of Zilingo, and Suresh Shankar, founder of Crayon Data, talking about it. So stay tuned. Also, like Dave and Cole mentioned, health, mental health is really important. So we've started a mental health series. The first one kicks off on Tuesday, 14th of April at 4.30, where we are going to talk about how do you come back as anxiety and how do you create your own personal continuity plan moving forward. So thank you so much and stay tuned. See you next week on Wednesday. Bye.